Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. Many of the Medal of Honor stories we talk about center around somebody risking or sacrificing their life to save others. And in almost every case, it's a squad mate or a platoon. You know, somebody jumps on a grenade to save the buddy in their machine gun position, or maybe a soldier assaults an enemy bunker so that they stop killing his squad or a platoon's caught in an ambush and somebody will stand up and attract enemy fire so his buddies can get away. And, you know, it's the the common saying in the military that you fight for the person to your left and right. And, and that makes sense. There's a, a respect there, a love there between brothers and sisters in arms, especially at a time of combat where people are willing to do things that are above and beyond. And that includes in, in so many cases, risking and giving their own life. That as crazy as a lot of those stories are, it registers. We, we can understand how you could love those around you so much that you'd be willing to give your own life to save theirs. But today we have a different story. Today we're going to talk about somebody who risked and gave his own life for people that he didn't know and had never seen before. That's the story of Airman First Class William Pitsenbarger, who would be awarded the Medal of Honor for actions in Vietnam in 1966. Pitsenbarger was trained as an Air Force pararescueman. Now, that's a specialized job within the Air Force designed to go into areas around the world to extract, you know, rescue is, is one of their mission sets. Maybe going behind enemy lines and, and, and find and pull out a downed pilot is, is a big mission. Um, there's also people might be trapped on a desolate mountain and the, the pararescuemen can be called in or out of military. This doesn't have to happen in combat. They're often used, um, in natural disaster situations as well to go into areas and provide medical, you know, immediate medical aid and get those people out of there. So a pararescuemen is trained in a lot of things. We're talking, um, basic airborne operations, static jumps, um, use with helicopters, loading, unloading, sling loading, um, using winches to to lower equipment or raise men, um, free fall parachuting, and then extensive medical training. So at a high level, the idea with pararescue men is that they're not only going to be able to get somebody out, but on the spot, they're going to be able to provide next level care above and beyond what a standard army medic or Navy corpsman might be able to do. They're just going to be a little more trained in their medical tasks, medical skills. In Vietnam, the pararescue men were utilizing an interesting capacity that we'll get into here, but across the battlefield, when the United States would take casualties and we wanted to evacuate them back to a hospital, it was often used or helicopters were most often used. Just the nature of the fight was very air mobile, a lot of helicopters across the countryside and to do that, you'd have to set up a landing zone, someplace for the helicopter to land. They can't just go anywhere. You know, think of a jungle. This would be a good example for later. A, where are you going to land a helicopter in the middle of a jungle? You have to find a, a cleared area. And these cleared areas ended up being kind of the lifeline for American troops in combat 
because that's how supplies and men could get in and out as well as, as getting your wounded out. So if you could, while you're fighting in Vietnam, if you could mark and find landing zones along the way and keep them secure enough for helicopters to come in, great. That's how your um, casualties are going to go out. And in those cases, you didn't really need a pair of rescue men because anybody could call in a medevac and carry the wounded to the bird and, and send them out. But there's other cases where that wouldn't work and you couldn't get to the troops on the ground. And that's the case that we're going to dive into with Airman First Class William Pitsenbarger. On April 11th, 1966, a call came in that there was an American unit that was under heavy fire taking serious casualties about 30 miles outside of Saigon. They notified Pittsburgh's unit because they weren't going to be able to get traditional medevac helicopters in there. They were in the middle of a dense jungle and the canopy was such that there wasn't, they were going to have to move a substantial distance to, to evacuate the wounded. And the, and the number of wounded were rising in such a manner that um, they couldn't do it. You know, if you have, there end up being about 130 people on the ground. And if you take, you know, 20, 30 casualties, all of a sudden you're going to have a hard time moving those casualties while maintaining the defensive perimeter. So that you end up almost stuck in one spot. And that's, that's generally what's happening here. So Pittsburgh and his unit take off in their helicopters. They near this battlefield. You know, it's, it's, it would be an interesting thing to see because it's happening underneath this jungle canopy. So you can tell that it's happening. There's going to be explosions of smoke and gunfire, trace rounds going everywhere, but it's almost like it's separated from the aircraft overhead by this, what well, is separated, but it's just a, a weird visual there. As they near the site, the, Thought is the thought is we're going to lower these baskets via a winch system. You'd lower a basket, kind of like a, to, to put a person into, to put a casualty into. The soldiers on the ground will load the casualty up. The helicopter hovering at you know 100 feet or whatever it might be pulls the soldier up. Bam! You've got a soldier on board, one ready to be evacuated. But as they're nearing the site, they 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 put that basket down, and the soldiers are struggling to get anybody loaded. So Pittsburgh volunteers to go down. As he volunteers to go down, the, the pilot says, you can go down, but but when we leave, you're coming with us. You know, just be ready to, to jump back in that basket and go when we when we get out of here, which makes sense. That's a team. He's part of a team with these helicopter pilots. It's a unit that operates this kind of pararescue mission. And, you know, he's gone through a lot of training. He's an incredibly valuable resource, and he's going to keep people alive as long as he continues to be able to serve in that mission. Either way, he volunteers to go down into this incredibly dangerous battlefield below that is, you know, at this point, the Americans are at risk of being overrun, and he's volunteering to go down in the middle of it. He lowers down and immediately gets to work, starts loading casualties into these baskets, and in short order, has six loaded. That's a full load for the two helicopters. They take off um, to go drop the casualties at the nearest field hospital, and they're going to come back to start picking up more. As they come back to the site, I mean, this entire time, there is heavy enemy fire coming in every direction, and casualties are continuing to, to mount. And Pittsburghers on the ground never stopped treating casualties, never stopped keeping people alive. And 
And something that's worth noting is it's, you know, just because, just because he's providing medical aid and just because he's not shooting at the enemy at the time doesn't mean that a bullet can't strike and kill him and that the enemy isn't aiming to try to kill him. So it's the heat of battle. There are people in this battle, reports of it being so severe that folks are freezing and, and shaking at the knees and not able to function. I mean, it is a it is a sizable fight, a vicious firefight. And Pitsenbarger is right in the middle of it, running around like, like he can't get hurt so he can treat more and more and more wounded. Eventually, that second helicopter, the helicopters come back after their first trip. And as they start to lower their basket, they start taking pretty serious enemy fire. And it's the call is made. It's too hot for us to hover here. Remember, to lower that basket, the helicopter is going to be stationary for, I mean, even if it's a minute, that's a long time. And that's it's going to take longer than a minute. But, you know, even 60 or 90 seconds, 120 seconds hovering over a contested battlefield is a challenging spot to be for a helicopter. And as they're doing that, the enemy's opening fire and starting to, to uh, there starts to become a risk of the helicopters being shot down. So they say, we got to get out of here. Remember they said, Pitts and Barger, you're coming with us if we have to pull out. So they signaled down to him, time to go, jump in the hoist, let's go. He waves him off. He says, no, I'm going to stay on the ground. Now, we hit on this a little bit at the beginning, but it's worth coming back to now. He doesn't know these people. He doesn't know their names. He's never seen them before. He's never met them before. He is, the standard pararescueman job is to leave with a helicopter. It would have been to leave when the first batch left. Now it's absolutely time for him to leave. That is not just expected. I mean, that's part of his job. These guys are going to continue to do this job all across the country, but he waves them off, not for, you know, guys he's grown up with or a unit that he's trained with, but for this group of American soldiers in an incredibly dangerous position, losing their friends left and right. And he says, Nope, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to continue to help. So he does that. And Helicopters take off, unknown when they're going to be able to come back. And, and keep in mind, in the middle of these battles, it's never expected or, or, or known who's going to win. This entire unit could be overrun. By the end of the day, 106 of 134 soldiers on the ground, 106 of 134, are either going to be killed or seriously wounded. I mean, they're on the brink of being overrun. But Pitsenbarger stays. He bounces around providing medical aid everywhere he can. There are reports of guys saying he just kept running through fire to grab soldiers that were down in any number of positions to pull them back into friendly lines. You know, this isn't a pitched battle where two sides are in line and they move towards each other. And you say, well, my guys are to my left and to my right. They're in thick jungle when they get hit. They don't know where all their people are. And some of them are wounded out there in need of aid. And, and, Nobody knows where they are. Pitsenbarger is going out beyond the friendly perimeter to look through this dense jungle under fire with enemy all around to find wounded Americans and drag them back. At one point, he was dragging two, and somebody jumped up and helped him to to bring him back uh, back behind a tree for a little bit of cover. That's what he does for the next next couple hours, just nonstop. He's alternating between treating the wounded and engaging enemy forces to keep him at bay. 
He runs around the perimeter gathering ammunition as they start to run low. He's doing everything the unit needs. So he's not even waving, you know, another thing he'd been justified to say, guys, I can't do that. I got to, I'm here to provide medical aid. That's what I'm going to do. But, but he doesn't, he, when needed, when the Viet Cong pushed through on three sides and, and almost breached the perimeter, he's on the line alongside these army infantrymen repelling the enemy attack. He's wounded three times throughout the battle, but doesn't stop. Even after he's wounded, he continues to work on other wounded soldiers. So ignoring his own wounds, treating others to keep them alive. Later that night, as the battle is is nearing its close, American reinforcements will show up uh, either that night or the next morning. Pitsenbarger is shot and killed. He is credited with saving, directly saving, at least nine American lives and likely many, many more. Nine, we're talking about the people he, he physically got out of there, but I don't even th- I'm not sure that anybody has placed a number on how many soldiers were stuck behind friendly lines that he went out and got that would have been, that would have either died of their wounds that the enemy would have found and killed or would have found and taken prisoner. Nine is the official hard number, but, but when you hear uh, accounts from some of the folks in the unit, I think that's, that's substantially higher. He was put up for an award posthumously and that award was the Air Force Cross. So the second highest award to the Medal of Honor. And that was in 1966. A long time later, his other folks in his unit, friends and family petitioned. The case was reviewed. And in the year 2000, it was upgraded to a Medal of Honor, which was presented to his family. So Airman First Class William Pitsenbarger, for descending through a jungle canopy into a hellish battlefield in Vietnam on April 11th, 1966, giving his own life to save the lives of men that he had never met and whose names he didn't know, would in the year 2000 be awarded the Medal of Honor. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.